Here we are, fools. It's the fifth and final Wednesday of November 2022. 73, that's the number I have for you today. If you're looking for a lucky number, today, this week, this month, you now have it. 73, it's a prime number. Mathematicians know how beautiful those are. And I do too, because this week's mailbag marks the 73rd consecutive monthly mailbag in Rule Breaker Investing History. 73, with your Twitter hot takes, questions on Rule Breakers, thoughts aplenty, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Let me be perhaps the last person to wish you happy November. The month is running out quickly. This is November 30th. The Rule Breaker Investing Podcast comes out on or about 4 p.m. Eastern all year long, every week. And that particular day is right now. It's been a fun month for this podcast. Looking back over our four previous episodes, we let off with Mental Tips, Tricks, and Life Hacks, Volume 7. That started it on November 2nd. One week later, Company Culture Tips, Kara Chambers, Lee Burbage, back with me for Volume 10, intentionally picking the greatest hits from the previous nine episodes in that series. All of us can make our workplaces better. There are many different ways to do it. Ten of them were featured on November 9th. We then did a review of Palooza episode. Emily Flippin joined me to review two five-stock samplers last week. The week of Thanksgiving here in the United States, it was Gratitude 2022, celebrating the torchbearers and the part of me that is only with you. Well, here we are. It's November 30th. Here's some hot takes from Twitter reacting to the month that has been Gaurav Kumar at Gaurav K Investor. It is so good to put a face to the voices. Gaurav, you're talking about having Kara Chambers and Lee Burridge. I think we just snapped a photo of ourselves since we were all in Full HQ together with our producer, Rick Engdahl. There we were, like old times, physically present in the same studio doing the podcast. And we just put that out over social media and you got to see Lee and Kara. It's a delight for me to have seen them both for something like 17 and 25 years, respectively, and counting. It was funny to think back to our first episode of Comedy Culture Tips together when Kara was celebrating her 10th full anniversary and Lee his 17th. Then all of a sudden, fast forward seven years later, and Kara is celebrating her 17th full anniversary at The Motley Fool. Thank you for listening, and Garov. Reacting to the same podcast, Jason Moore at Jiminy Jillikers, the most frequently probably quoted Twitter hot taker following this podcast. Jason, thank you again. You wrote, quotes, compelling, not compulsory, has been such a gem from the first time I heard it. I try and look for ways to bring this to many parts of daily life. And yes, Jason, you were rocking one of Lee's dictums, one of his prescriptions to himself and really to any HR department if you will, which is if you're having to make things compulsory, you probably should work harder to make them compelling so that your fellow adults want to do the things that you're asking as opposed to feeling like they're being compelled to fill out that form, show up for that meeting, do that thing you want them to do. Compelling, not compulsory. A good way of thinking about planning family life sometimes as well. Jason, thank you for that. All right, two more. Carlos F.S. at CFS76. Thank you, David. I started investing in 2021. Your advice and voice 
is always present. It's kept me calm during this period of sustained losses, and it keeps me swimming, writes Carlos. Your at RBI podcast has been a huge positive influence. I just want to say thank you sincerely. Well, thank you back, Carlos. Takes two to tango. That's true in dancing. It's also true in podcasting. The reason I do this is because you listen in. And presumably the reason you listen in is because I do this and it's our pleasure to share with each other from week to week in good times and bad. One thing I did mention this month, reminding all of my fellow fools this, you know, two years out of every three, the market rises. And that's why it goes from the lower left to the upper right over time. If two years in every three, the market dropped, you can bet that stock market line wouldn't look so great over the long term. But the truth is, things go up more than they go down. And that's important to remember, especially in the dark times. So thank you, Carlos. And finally, at Liberty Centric, prepping me to hype up next week's podcast, at Liberty Centric writes, my family thought they'd escape 2022 without an abundance of board games under the Christmas tree. Bwahaha, ha ha, ha ha, hashtag board games rule. And Liberty Centric, you're enabling me to preview Next week's games, games, games. I believe that one's going to be volume four. I've gotten in the habit once each year, the first week of December, so you still have time to order before the holidays. My favorite board games, tabletop games, card games of the year that has been. I'll try to pick five that are typically lighter games, casual fare for families, and then five for harder core gamers. I'm getting my lists together this week. I look forward to doing games, 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 volume four with you all next week. All right, enough then with Twitter. And I hope everyone's still using Twitter. I'm still using Twitter. I once applied for the blue check mark, and I got it because I'm me, and it was just an authentication process. These days, the check marks, they keep a changing, and apparently you might need to pay some money to use Twitter. No one yet has made me do that. I probably would pay Twitter $8 a month to post and continue to use it, myself, but I realize that could be off-putting to some. Anyway, I think some form of social media connection is helpful. I intend to maintain that unless somebody has a much better idea for us. At RBI Podcast is this podcast's social media handle on Twitter. I am at David G. Fool on Twitter. All right, Rule Breaker mailbag item number one of six this week. Thank you, Rich Smith, for this note. David, I want to send a heartfelt thank you in appreciation of The Motley Fool and all the podcasting content. I shared this with Motley Fool Money earlier, but this year I won't be able to spend Thanksgiving with my family. I've mentioned it before in some of my previous messages. I'm a military fool. I'm currently overseas for some extended duty and wanted to offer my appreciation for what you all do. The podcast provided much-needed reprieve from the day-to-day tempo. The market news, insights, and humor are something that I look forward to daily. Again, thank you to all the fools this Thanksgiving season and for helping me to pass the time while I'm away. Fool on, Rich. Well, fool on has been the way I've signed off many a note since we started this company. Yeah, I think I was sending AOL emails from motleyfool at AOL.com back in the day in 1993-4. So thank you for fooling on, Rich, and thank you for your service. I know so many of us here in the United States and really all of us in every country in the world are grateful for those who keep us safe. Thank you for the sacrifices that you make, small and large. There are many small sacrifices made by 
people serving the public every day. Larger ones, like not getting to be with your family for Thanksgiving, I particularly appreciate. So, fool on to you, Rich. And I can see that you are a regular listener to Motley Fool Money. Of course, this podcast comes out just once a week, but Motley Fool Money comes out every single day. And if every listener of Rule Breaker Investing is not already also listening to Motley Fool Money, just search your podcast aggregator for Motley Fool Money, hosted by longtime Motley Fool personality and good friend Chris Hill and a cast of thousands. So thank you, Rich, for being a daily listener to Motley Fool Money and a weekly listener to Rule Breaker Investing. Fool on to you, sir. Happy Thanksgiving to you in this season of gratitude. All right, on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number two. Welcome, Rick Munares. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, David. I'm delighted to have you join with me for this mailbag point number two. Rick, longtime analyst for Motley Fool Rule Breakers, writer for the Motley Fool Man About Town. Is it fair to say that at this point, Rick? Um, I don't know what Man About Town – I've heard it used. I'm not even sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a Man About Town – Man About City. Um, man About Questioning Things, I guess. So, yes. Excellent. Thank you. I'll man take About it. Questioning Things. And in this case, Man About Answering Some Questions. We've got a nice one in here from Max Carr. Rick, he writes, Greetings, fools. I'm a 22-year-old investor currently in my senior year of college – Love what you guys do. Very thankful I was able to find The Motley Fool at a young age. I've been learning so much with you all. I would like to ask about and discuss Robinhood. I've used Robinhood since high school, Max writes. I'm very thankful for it. Robinhood allowed me to begin investing small portions of money, getting some skin in the game, pushing me to further learn about and love the stock market. Although Robinhood definitely has competition, I've thought of them to be a bit of a rule breaker. I'm going to pause it right there, Rick. As you think through rule breakers, and you know this framework as well as I do at this point, top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry, sustainable competitive advantage, strong past price appreciation, the list goes on. We won't go through all six of the attributes we look for in rule breakers, but we've talked through them many times over the years, and we will many times again. Does Robinhood tend to grade out as a rule breaker for you, Rick Minoris, or not as much a rule breaker? Yeah, I think in some ways it's definitely very rule breaker ish. Uh, I think you have the case where uh, Robinhood disrupted. So obviously it wasn't the first trading platform, the first way to trade stocks, equities, and crypto, but it did disrupt the market. The reason why so many brokers now have zero fee commission trading is because Robinhood planted that flag and said, hey, uh, you know, uh, free commission trading. And everyone said, well, we have to compete against that. So it definitely disrupted the industry. And and I think uh, the founder CEO uh, of Vlad Tenev has done a lot of things that are rule breakerish, like sort of cutting his own path. Uh, But on on the other end of the time, you have the stock itself has been a disappointment. Uh, since it hit the market. Uh, there have been some issues. Uh, Robinhood, like so many other trading platforms, are struggling lately. So it's you know it, it's had two restructurings so far this year. So there are some ways that Robinhood is not a rule breaker, but definitely it, it, it definitely entered with a bang with a way of just kind of taking a market that the sleepiest markets are always the easiest ones to disrupt, and they clearly disrupted uh, the brokerage market. The stock has been really interesting to follow it came public to a great deal of fanfare in the summer of 2021 when it seems like any stock that helped you in your home life, in your locked down home life, enjoy yourself a little bit more was rocking and doing really well. The stock briefly, and I'm talking about like for a week or two, touched over 80. Today, it's a, it's just below 10, 
Rick. So the market cap for this company is still $8 billion, very substantial. Uh, the next line I want to share from Max's note is, I understand the hate Robin Hood has gotten. Now, what does that trigger for you, Rick Munares? Yeah, so again, so Robin Hood, they've done a lot of good things. And just as Max, he discovered Robin Hood when he was in high school and, and, and he's Max Sewig. Robinhood got a lot of young people in the market, and you, David, you were in the market very young. Um, I was in the market relatively youngish. I would have loved to have a Robinhood when I was growing up, and I didn't have to like go over to Morgan Stanley or any of the other major full-service brokers to get invested in the market. Robinhood has leveled that playing field, so that is good. And they have a cool little gimmick where if you open an account, uh, you get a free share of stock. It's usually a low-priced stock. So they already, right away, they're just easing your way into it without having to have a lot of money to get into investors. In that way, yes, uh, Robinhood is, is, does well in that, in that regard. Uh, in, in other regards, it's, still, it's a platform that even now, even today – it's very few. There's not a lot of stock trading happening on Robinhood. You think Robinhood is stocks. More than half of it, a 60% of its transaction-based revenue comes from options trading, which is fine, but very speculative in the wrong hands. And 25% is in crypto. It was higher with crypto, but with the crypto market taking a hit. So it's not the stock options. It's not like you and I that we grew up with a love for stocks and eventually said, hey, options are an interesting way to diffuse some of that risk uh, and la- largely you know, sidestepped a crypto to a certain extent. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it is obviously catered to your young market. It gets a lot of young investors excited about trading and speculating. Um, obviously, speculating isn't as good as investing, but mm. at least it's a, it's, it's a gateway drug to to becoming a long-term investor, I hope. So this is not your granddaddy's, your daddy's Schwab here, or maybe it is. No. Maybe this is the <laughs> new form of Schwab, but there's a lot of trading. I mean, every platform, Rick, has typically benefited from more activity, more volume, and more trading. So yeah, Max goes on, Robin Hood's mission is to democratize finance for all. This feels like generally a good push. He goes on to mention the potential global markets expansion in the coming years. He also talks about 3.75% interest rate on your uninvested cash, which is obviously a relatively new thing reacting to higher interest rates, a lot higher than zero these days, which was They were about zero a year ago. So he closes, I personally would like to live in a world where underprivileged people and investors are able to have the ability to save and put a portion of their wealth into a competitive risk-free rate. This reflects my best vision of the future. He ends by saying, could the hood be a rule breaker? And Rick, to close, looking at this company, I mean, the first thing I see is that the stock I mean, we talked about how it once was 80, it's now 10. It really has been bouncing around 10 for most of 2022. The volatility is pretty low in this one. Uh, you know, Up to 12, down to 9, back to 11, down to 9 again. One thing I'd like to see is strong past price appreciation before I could get excited about ticker symbol H-O-O-D. That's what I see. What do you see in closing? Yeah, again, uh, there's twelve, a little more than 12 million active monthly users in Robinhood right now. And that may not seem like a big number, but for a trading platform, that is substantial. That is a lot of people. They're mostly very small accounts, uh, so you have to keep that in mind. Uh, but it, again, 12 million was a lot less than when we were a year ago, more than 20 million uh, accounts on active accounts on, on Robinhood. So wow. I'd like to see that improve. Uh like you, I would like to see so many other things. Metrics improve. The stock price would improve. I think that's all reflective of the fact that the platform is going through a transition. So I think Robinhood is promising, and it's always been on my watch list. Uh, it's always been there. It's a stock that I've been 
hoping gets it right because even through their missteps, their company doing a lot of things that you should be excited about getting young people to invest. I hope it'd be more passionate about the discipline as an investor because zero free commission trading is basically opening you up to a golden corral of investing where you can just keep eating and eating and eating and and, and, and tossing your plates, use plates and get, grabbing a new one. But I, I do think that Robinhood's markets, uh, their, their stock is in the right place, but I still think it has a quite a bit of ways to go before it's actually rule breakers worthy. Well, thank you. I agree as well. And technically, the company name is Robinhood Markets, which Rick was reflecting at a couple of different points, ticker symbol H-O-O-D. Certainly a, a fascinating company to follow, one that has enabled many to get started investing cheaply. Uh, the bad news is it wasn't a great time to get started investing, as it turns out, from its IPO in the summer of last year through a year and a half later to this year. But yeah, in closing, I'll just add, Max, that I like to think that if I'm investing in something, it's winning. Um, we typically do better when we invest in stocks at their 52-week highs rather than their 52-week lows. Obviously, this rule has exceptions, but I would like to see Robinhood perk up and start to win before I committed significant capital at this point. Rick Minares, happy Thanksgiving. Good to be with you. Thanks. All right, on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number three. Hi, David, Rick, RBI podcast team, The Motley Fool Foundation, and everyone at The Motley Fool. Wow, John, thank you so much. You've addressed us all with your opening. It's a season of thanks again, writes our biggest fan, John, sometime correspondent for Rule Breaker mailbags. Great to hear from you again, John. It's a season of thanks again, you write. And I want to take this opportunity to express my gratitude for all the hard work and everything that you and your team are doing for our community. I truly enjoyed all of this year's episodes. I will start my vote for 2022 besties soon. Well, thank you for that, John. This year, she goes on, I would like to dedicate my special appreciation to a newly founded and growing Motley Fool Foundation. Although this year's been rough for many investors, myself included, due to the market's downturn, I remain extremely grateful that I still have the capital to invest. However, many people are still in a constant struggle. The foundation has opened my eyes to the possibility that there are many smart, innovative, and caring people with a passion to help solve and help those who struggle towards financial freedom. There isn't a lot of good news this year, but to me, the Motley Fool Foundation has been the light, joy, and hope that someone cares. Solving financial freedom is not easy that's an understatement, John writes, but with the foundation, I'm very hopeful and will continue to be a strong ally in fighting and supporting in any way I can. I feel that my donation, and thank you again for donating, it's foolfoundation.org. My fellow fools, it is the holiday time of year. We'd love to hear from you, John. Thank you for this. I feel that my donation isn't only deployed properly, but also multiplies to make a bigger impact through our fellowship. If I can have one small request to hear an update from someone at the foundation periodically, either in future episodes of this podcast or other Motley Fool podcasts, I'm sure many members want to hear more and are eager to support. Thank you again to everyone at the foundation, everyone at the Fool for your hard work, forever a fool, Jum. Well, Jum, thank you very much. And you know what? I thought, yeah, we could do that in future podcasts, but why wouldn't we do that right now? Jennifer Gennaro Oxley, Executive Director of the Motley Fool Foundation. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Happy to be here, David. Always. Jennifer, I know Thanksgiving is a... Well, I know you're from a big Italian family, first of all. So I always hear about 
big gatherings. What was your Thanksgiving like this year? Do you know, we don't do the Italian thing for Thanksgiving. I will tell you, it is hosted by my mother-in-law, who believes in nothing more than the joy of the turducken. From New Orleans, <laughs> straight out of New Orleans, uh, she orders it up, as she says, every year. And it is a small affair, uh, just with our immediate family. And the turducken is the star of the show. And I will tell you, if, if anyone of your listeners who have had it before, it is a unbelievable uh, piece of culinary expertise uh, <laughs> between the chicken, the duck, and the turkey. So it's like a turkey inside of a duck inside of a chicken? Something it like is. that? With all kinds of extremely healthy New Orleans stuffing. And then that's tongue in cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Well, I, I, I myself always benefit every year. We call our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving in our family because we surround. There's actually a lot more games than food. But I have been the beneficiary of somebody else's generosity, my gardener cousins in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who uh, have enabled me to eat kind of for free for year after year. I hope they are listening to this podcast so they can hear again my gratitude. But I really appreciate going to big gatherings where I don't have to cook myself. I know you do some of that yourself. But all right, enough with the week that was and the weight that we still need to lose. Jennifer jumps here talking some about the foundation and the hard work that we're doing. I would love for you to just to share any updates, any thoughts here as we end 2022. First of all, I just want to say thank you to Jum. Uh, Jum was one of the first people that I met when I came in, uh, in the last two years of meeting with your listeners and our members. And I'll tell you one thing, I've always had a belief that in any of the work that you do uh, in the nonprofit space or otherwise, you must partner and lift from within. And you do that because it's critical that when we're designing new systems, when we're trying to make the economy and the world more inclusive, that we are partnering with those that have had challenges to redesign it together. And Jum, you have been with us all the way, and I really appreciate it. Also, I just want to say thank you because there is no silver bullet in this work. And the team here, we really enjoy your note because A, it keeps us accountable, which is very important because this is a public charity and it's very critical that we are accountable and show discipline. And the other thing, it gives me wings and it gives our whole team wings and hope. You taking the time for that note. And by the way, Jum's story is on our website, foolfoundation.org. If you want to hear more about how she started, how her family started, partnered with The Motley Fool over a long period of time, grew her wealth, and now she wants to pay it forward with us. I'm glad you mentioned that. I enjoyed the video of Jum telling her story. And I reminded Jennifer that all are invited at foolfoundation.org to tell their story of either how they achieve financial freedom for those who have, or how they are working hard to achieve financial freedom. And it's still the case, Jennifer, right, that I can sign on to the website and, I don't know, turn my iPhone on myself, selfie video for two minutes and send it in? It will always be the case. You know, this is our foundation collectively, and we need all of you. So your stories propel us all. We need you. Please send it in. And one other thing I, I heard Jum speak to, and I think this is important to talk about, is is a multiplier effect. I think anytime we donate time, money, as they always say, time, treasure, talent, it's very satisfying to us, all the studies show, uh, just to put something of ourselves out there and show gratitude to the world. That's really healthy for us. But I think it's even more powerful, Jennifer, when we feel like whatever we do is going to be matched or duplicated, or I don't know, mass produced, that if I do X, 
and there's a 3x or a 9x that comes out of that feels that feels great to me. Could you speak briefly to multipliers? So when we started the foundation, we knew that one of our unique opportunities here was to partner with all of you, our listeners, our members, um, to not only redesign the systems, but multiply the work on the ground. So in the new year, we will be expanding our work with the fellowship into more communities around the country. We'll be launching something called a Green Hub, which is our focus on one local area in South Carolina, which, by the way, we have 15,000 members in South Carolina. South Carolina is going to be a big state in 2023 for the Motley Fool Foundation. Why that's important is that, speaking of a multiplier effect, many of our members that are in South Carolina have already partnered with us to find rule breakers in that local area that help people create pathways to financial freedom that are living paycheck to paycheck. So the multiplier effect is not just financial. Yes, of course, when we have donations that come into the foundation and then more and more come in and allow us to scale the work, and thank you for that. Um, That's one part. The other part is that hand up, that ever important hand up that members are already showing, that our full listeners are showing in local markets to help us do the work to help people that are living paycheck to paycheck. So that's our multiplier effect, both that hand up and the financial assets we need to scale the work. Well, thank you for that, Jennifer Gennaro Oxley. A delight to have you join us for this mailbag. Thank you, Jum, for your wonderful note and for the opportunity just to talk a little bit about that work. Jennifer, if I'm hearing about the foundation for the first time or maybe the 12th time and I'm thinking I'd like to get involved What's the way that I can do that most conveniently right now? Two ways. Number one is go to our website, www.foolfoundation.org. When you actually send your note in, we listen, we respond immediately. So we are so excited to hear from you. So please send your uh, inquiries there. And the second place is you can follow me on LinkedIn, Jennifer Gennaro Oxley, um, or any of our social media, which is all at Fool Foundation. Wonderful. Thank you, Jennifer. Full on. Full on. All right. Rule breaker mailbag item number four. This one comes from Matt Cohen. Matt, you and I got to meet at our Motley Fool meetup in Northern Virginia earlier this month. And I remember you asking me if you could send in something to the podcast. And I said, yeah, you could ask me the the question right there in the pub that day. But even better, you could type it out, share it, and then we could share it out through this mailbag, which is what we're doing this week. So thank you, Matt Cohen, for leaning in with The Fool. Hello, David. So here's the question I'd like for you to answer in your next podcast. How capital F foolish or small f foolish would it be to let capital gains tax considerations drive a decision to sell? And if it's not over personal, would you tell us about a time where income tax considerations were the driving force behind your decision to sell a stock. I look forward to your next podcast. Thank you, Matt. Matt Cohen. Well, whenever I think taxes, first thing I think of is the IRS. The second thing I think of is, well, not actually, but okay, why not? Robert Brokamp. Great to have you back, bro, to Rule Breaker Investment. Let's just make it clear that I do have a personality and my life is not all about taxes. (laughs) And we have tax experts at The Motley Fool who've also been on this podcast. You're not the only tax guy. I'm not even sure you've Fancy yourself tax guy around Full HQ, or do you? I would say financial planning guy, which of course taxes are a part of. Indeed, and that's why often I love to have you on to answer questions like this. I will speak to Matt's question in a sec, but Robert, I have you on because 
you think hard about these things. You come up with frameworks and thoughts. And I know you have something to share back on whether we should allow capital gains tax considerations to, in Matt's words, drive a decision to sell. So I'm assuming that Matthew owns a stock that he thinks he should sell, but he doesn't want to pay the capital gains tax. And if that's the case, I frankly think he should bite the tax bullet and sell the stock, especially if he's proven that he's pretty good at knowing when it's time to part ways with some shares. Um, David, you may remember Phil Marty, who was a retired IRS employee, who answered all kinds of tax-related questions on our discussion boards. Sadly, Phil passed away several years ago, but he often told the story of when he decided not to sell his shares in Cisco during the dot-com days because of the taxes he would have had to pay. Well, the market took care of his tax bill by taking away his capital uh. gains as Cisco dropped from like, I don't know, 80 to like 15. Um, so I think it's, if you think it's time to part ways with a stock, don't let the, the tax consequences prevent you from doing it. Most people listening to this show will likely pay a, like a, maybe a 15% capital gains tax rate. And that's just on the gains, you know, not the cost basis or the reinvested dividends. Um, and there are several ways to offset that, that tax bite if you want to. I really appreciate that. And I think the, the, the higher order thinking and what people want from Rule Breaker Investing and really from The Motley Fool overall is big picture. Let's start there. So th I think the big picture, which you've just given us, Robert, is that our decisions to sell, most of all, should be driven by two things. First of all, uh, whether that stock looks dramatically overvalued or not to us. In other words, if, if the stock just on its own is asking to be sold, then waiting to sell because you don't want to pay taxes, that's not going to work out so well. You just gave a great example of that. But a second factor that does factor in is our own situation. For example, for me, sometimes I have sold a stock in part because I own too much of it. It's a great problem to have. If you if you own a stock that blows up in your portfolio, sometimes you're going to sell because of your own situation. But here again, Robert, it's not about the capital gains tax considerations. It's more of an allocation decision. It's a, oh my gosh, I'm overweighted in Netflix because it's done too well. I have too much Netflix, I should balance out a little bit more. And you and I know, at least I think you know this about me. I definitely know this about me. I'm not a huge fan of overbalancing co or constantly balancing. Certainly a lot of mutual funds have to do that to maintain regulatory practices. But for the most part, we as individual investors can allow winners truly to win in our portfolios. So anyway, I, th I think for most of us, we need to see the big picture first and not get too caught up in, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pay 15% of that here. Or I also hear in the Washington, D.C., we have one of the higher um, state or local tax bills as well. You can really lose the forest for the trees if you're thinking too much around the tax decisions instead of your allocation decisions as an investor. Yeah. And, and as a financial planner, we financial planners often talk in terms of risk management. So I'm glad you brought up the aspect of having too much in a single company. And, and the truth is, a lot of risk management has a cost. It might be the taxes from selling something you're too concentrated. It might be paying for insurance. It might be other things that you do to protect your finances. It's a cost, but it's well worth the cost. And as I suggested, there are ways to reduce that cost, right? You could do you offset the gains by doing some tax loss harvesting. There you go. Some stocks that are down. Of course, you can't buy it back within 30 days, but you can do that. You could max out your traditional pre-tax retirement accounts to lower your tax bill before the end of the year, if that's suitable for your situation. Um, so there are various ways 
to do that. But if you do decide to sell, make sure that you set some of that money aside into a savings account. So when tax time comes around, you have that cash to pay the tax bill. Because if instead you reinvest all of the money, you're going to have to then sell some of that stock when it comes time to pay the tax bill. Thank you, Robert. And I guess I'll add one addendum, Matt. Since you asked me point blank, would I tell you about a time where income tax considerations were the driving force behind my decision to sell a stock? Yeah, I easily can. Um, just about any time I've had a really bad loser, and I'm good sometimes, I hate this about me, I'm good at losing 50% or more with a stock pick. Ones I've made publicly, ones I bought privately. Anybody who knows me knows I take more of a venture capital approach to the markets where I'm willing to lose and sometimes lose grandly in order to win even more grandly. So if you invest like me, you end up with a big loser sometimes. And so you can net out some of the positive gains from appreciated positions against those losses. So if I've lost $10,000 on a really bad investment and I'm overweighted in another stock, selling something around $10,000 worth of profit of that stock enables me to zero out my capital gains. Now, this is not something that I do repeatedly, but since Matt, you asked, is there a time where income tax considerations drove the decision to sell a stock? It wasn't the whole stock. It was just a portion of an appreciated stock where I do allow the capital gains decisions, in this case, capital losses, netting them out at zero to cause me to sell a portion of a winner. Robert, anything to add on that or are we done here? No, you you hit the highlights. I also point out that if you've made multiple purchases of a holding, either through your deliberate purchases or dividend reinvestment, that means you have multiple cost bases. Yep. And you can identify the shares that you sell either to um, minimize the gains in this year, or if for some reason this year has not been a great year for you and you're going to be in a lower tax bracket, you might want to realize some of those gains this year because you think you'll be in a higher tax bracket in the future. Very well said, Robert. It's just a pleasure to talk taxes with you as many times as possible <laughs> on as many mailbags as possible. I mentioned at the start of the show, this is our 73rd consecutive monthly mailbag. Does the number 73 have any resonance, any particular relevance to you right now? I realize this is an off-the-cuff question. A lot of us maybe watch some football over the course of this weekend, and often offensive linemen would wear the number 73. 73 mean anything to bro camps? So I'm always thinking about in terms of either football or stock market history. So when I hear 73, I think of the 73, 74 <laughs> bear market, the crash of the Nifty 50, which was the worst bear market since the Great Depression. Um, so that's what comes to mind for me. And I bring that up too, because I love safe withdrawal rates in retirement and how much you can safely take out each year. And the worst time to be in a retiree and which gave us the the, it was the, really the genesis of the so-called 4% rule was people who retired around 67, 68, because very soon after they had the crash of the Nifty 50, which started in 1973. You know, I wish you hadn't gone there, but I'm really glad that you did. I was introducing 73 as a really positive number, but I think ultimately, Robert, you made this positive by making market history front and center, which is a good thing to know and to respect if you're going to be a lifetime investor, which is what I hope everybody listening to us right now 
is. Well, from Rule Your Retirement fame at The Motley Fool, we got this cameo appearance from Robert Brokamp. Great to be with you again, bro. Fool on. You too, David. Thank you. All right, on to Rule Breaker mailbag item number five. This one from Mike McMahon, pro shop guy in and around The Motley Fool. Thank you, Mike. David, listening to your gratitude episode last week and your discussion of using the app ReadWise. If you want to take it to the next level and begin to organize all of your notes in ReadWise, Mike writes, I would suggest you take Rome, the Rome application. That's R-O-A-M for a spin. Rome is a note-taking tool for networked thought. For example, all of your ReadWise feeds get imported into Rome. Then, Mike writes, I can tag individual notes to create connections to other notes. Another thing I use it for is capturing quotes, which I can refer to later. Nerdy, but I thought you might find it interesting, Mike McMahon. Well, thank you, Mike. I have not used Rome yet, but I'm including this as a mailbag item because many may already have done so, or if not, may appreciate knowing more in this thought-driven world. You know, increasingly, we are an abstract world of thoughts. If the 19th and parts of the 20th century were about manufacturing, increasingly these days, dematerialization, a really important trend spoken to by Kevin Kelly of Wired Fame, the author of the book, The Inevitable. I interviewed him on this podcast a few years ago. I'm already thinking, by the way, I think I'd love to have him back in 2023, but Kevin Kelly has spoken to how things that used to be hardware around us, like let's say if you had a GPS, all of a sudden, well, your phone is your GPS these days, and so that disappears. And a lot of hardware, for example, DVD players, or how about just DVDs at all? These things, we were such a hardware-centric media-consuming world as recently as 20 years ago, and now those have disappeared as well. So increasingly, as human beings, maybe we're going to end up looking like the minority report where we're swiping through the air in augmented reality. I don't know what I'll be doing in 20 years. I hope I'll be doing something fun, though. But increasingly, I find that if you can manage your thoughts, tag them, organize them, make use of them, that leads to a better world. In fact, I'm on the Rome website right now, plugging it here. It's actually romeresearch.com. But if you scroll down to the about section at the bottom of their webpage, it says this. It says, we believe that writing is a tool for thinking. If we can build a tool for helping people write and organize their ideas more effectively, we can help them have better thoughts and solve otherwise intractable problems. That's their about section, and I like that. So I'm happy to share that out, even though I haven't tried it myself, because I think more thought tools, more tools that can help us have better thoughts, recall them, organize them, that feels like really important work here in the 21st century. So thank you for sharing that out, Mike McMahon. And yeah, part of what I did with the podcast this month is in my mental tips, tricks, and life hacks, speaking to reading eBooks and making better use of the highlighting features on the Kindle app in my case. And then that led to, oh, well, have you tried Readwise? And then Mike here is saying, have you tried Rome? So we keep peeling back the layers of the onion, looking for better ways to organize toward better thinking. And that's part of investing too, 
isn't it? Well, let's go on now to the final mailbag item, Rule Breaker Mailbag Item number six. And this one's short and sweet, written by Dan Hayes. Dan, you list, list yourselves as Dan from Danville. I, I might guess that's Virginia, although I'm quite sure there are Danvilles in other states. But Danville, Virginia isn't that far from Fool HQ. I'm a big fan of The Fool, says Dan, especially the Rule Breaker Investing podcast. I think it would be great, you declare, Dan, especially in a down market, to put all your cards on the table and review the very first five-stock sampler. And that's a fun way to close out this particular month. Five stocks for the next five years was the very first five-stock sampler I did on September 2nd, of 2015. And when it closed out five years later on September 2nd of 2020, as presented on this podcast a couple of years back, it was a winner. The stocks, the five stocks for the next five years were, and there were some good ones and some bad ones here, Activision Blizzard, Casey's General Stores, FireEye, Mercado Libre, and the Middleby Corporation. So you have a video game producer, a convenience store pizza company, a cybersecurity company, an international e-commerce company, and a maker of pizza ovens and lots of other kitchen aids to the commercial restaurant industry. So what a motley mix of five different stocks. And Dan, I'm here to let you know that even through hard times, I'm happy to say this five-stock sampler continues to be a champion now more than Seven years later, I'm going to make a closing point about that in a minute. But I want you to know, I do keep tracking the five-stock samplers. I have them in a spreadsheet. In this particular case, I'm not sure of the total return. And that's because FireEye got very confusing. I'll need to sort back through this when I do a later review of this in future years. FireEye rebranded as Mandiant, then sold off a portion of itself to a private equity company before the rest of it got acquired by Alphabet, by Google Alphabet earlier this year. It wasn't a great stock pick, but it's listed as minus 100% right now in my spreadsheet because Mandiant left the public markets. But I can tell you, for example, that Activision Blizzard is up from 28 to 74 over these seven years. That's a nice more than a double. Casey's General Stores, also up 105 to 243. I see Mercado Libre up 110 to 937. So that's been a good investment. And the Middleby Corporation, which was at $107 a share when I picked it in September of 2015. Well, when we closed it out a couple of years ago, five years later, as I said, it had gone from 107 to 99. But these days, it's up at 143. So that one has come back. Overall, these stocks have returned more than a triple against a stock market that has roughly doubled. So even after a really bad bear market, this five-stock sampler and many of the others still thriving. I look forward, by the way, to these stocks continuing to rise. Activision Blizzard may or may not get acquired by Microsoft. That one's kind of in the headlines right now. But stocks like Mercado Libre, we hold for the only term that matters, Dan, and that's the long term. And that has continued to be a champion for this particular five-stock sampler. Anyway, I really appreciate you enabling me a mini review of Palooza here at the end of the month of November. While I haven't picked five-stock samplers for the last couple of years, the 30 that I did continue to be so interesting to follow and to learn from. And I know we will continue doing that in 2023. Well, I want to thank you for suffering fools gladly once again this week as we get prepared 
for the very busy season of December. If you were listening earlier carefully, you already know where we are headed on this podcast next week. Get the friends and family circling around the fire for next week's Games, 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 Volume 4. If you desperately want a board game gift from somebody, you could forward them next week's podcast when it comes out. Or if you'd like to give tabletop games as gifts to others, I'll have some ideas for you. Really looking forward to that next week. Games, 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 Volume 4. In the meantime, keep gaming and fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.